Today's uh, Bible reading is Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. 
exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make enemies, I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Thanks, Kylie, and good morning, everyone. My name's Mark, if we haven't met. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, I became a Christian when I was 19 years old, and really the only difference between my own coming to faith story and, and what we just read in that Bible passage was that for me there was no violent wind, there was no tongues of fire on my head, no speaking in tongues, and, and no mass conversions of people from other countries. Uh, straight afterwards. So, so in other words, the events of Acts chapter 2 are completely different to my own personal experience. Um, I've never had the Holy Spirit so visibly come on me, poured out on me. I've, I've never seen so many people come to faith in Jesus in one day. And I'm guessing that that's probably the same for most of us. And so we might wonder, why isn't my experience like this? Um, why doesn't God do these amazing things in my life? Um, is it because this was just a special occasion? God doesn't act in that sort of a way anymore. Or is it because my faith isn't genuine? There's more that's needed before I'm the real deal. Um, or if you're here this morning just checking out church and, and what Christianity is all about, you might wonder, do I have to have an experience like this before I can call myself a Christian? Well, let's unpack this incredible occasion in history together and we'll see what it meant for the people back then who were there on that day and what it means for us today as well. Um, So in Acts chapter 2 we have a situation, we have an explanation and ultimately we have a salvation. Um, So first up we've got a pretty amazing situation that we've just seen. Um, So far in the book of Acts um, we've, we've heard that Jesus has ascended back to heaven Uh, right after telling his apostles that that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them, that they'll be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. Uh, And so the apostles and the the rest of the 120 believers are are waiting together. We've probably got about 150, 160 people in this room right now with with the kids going out, so it's probably fairly similar sort of dynamic to this. Um, they're, They're waiting together in Jerusalem for this promised Holy Spirit to come and empower them for the mission of making Jesus known. So they're sitting there waiting when suddenly a a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated it and came to rest 
on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The, the Holy Spirit has come, just as Jesus promised. And there's nothing subtle about it, is there? We've got a violent wind, we've got fire coming down on, on each one of them, showing that God's Spirit isn't just collectively with them, God's Spirit is present with each one of them in that room. Uh, Luke tells us as well, this, this happened on a day called Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost was an annual Jewish celebration, uh, which celebrated the barley harvest. It happened about 50, it happened 50 days after the Passover festival, and it was the Passover festival when Jesus had been crucified. Um, so there's, there's a bit of symbolism going on here. Um, possibly the barley harvest is meant to represent the spiritual harvest that we, that we see at the end here as people respond to the message. Uh, Pentecost was also a time when the Jewish people celebrated God giving the law to Moses. Uh, so God rescued them from slavery in Egypt at Passover, and then he, he, he established his covenant with them, uh, with the law at Pentecost. And so it's fitting, isn't it, that, that Passover is when God rescues his people um, through the death of Jesus. And Pentecost is when he puts his new covenant into action by sending his Holy Spirit. Um, so this day of Pentecost is, is loaded with symbolism. Um, and purely from a practical point of view as well, Pentecost was a time when Jerusalem was packed with Jews from all over the surrounding countries who had come to celebrate the festival together. Uh, so Luke tells us, um, staying in Jerusalem, there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Um, Luke mentions a few of those nations, and we can see a, a map here that gives, gives you a bit of an idea where people were coming from who were, who were represented. Jerusalem had a population, sort of a normal population of around 50,000 people at that time, but that would balloon up to 200,000 plus uh, during the festivals as, as people came along. It was almost as if Jerusalem was hosting the Olympics with people from different countries coming along. Uh, and so as the disciples go out speaking the wonders of God in, in these foreign languages that the Spirit has put in their mouths, these Jews who have visited Jerusalem, they're, they're hearing it in their own native tongues. Uh, and in case we just assume that you know people back then were used to weird supernatural things happening... Um, Luke tells us they were, they were bewildered by what they were seeing and hearing. They were utterly amazed. They were, they were perplexed. And part of the shock was that these disciples had Galilean accents. And people from Galilee had a, had a reputation for being uncultured and, and uneducated. So not, not the sort of people that you'd expect to be fluently multilingual. Um, so imagine for a moment an outback tour bus filled with tourists from China, Germany, Spain, Japan, wherever else, um, stopping off for lunch in a, a country town in the, in the middle of nowhere in the outback. And all of a sudden, the, the doors of the pub swing open and all the local farmers come out after their lunch break and, and they're talking to each other in, in fluent Chinese and German and Spanish and Japanese and all, all the other languages. And, and people are hearing this in their own language. It would be an incredible experience to have. So Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit is going to empower them to be witnesses, his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And, and you'd have to say it's been a flying start. They, they've barely made it out the front door and already the message has gone international. 
Uh, so for the Jews hearing this, they are amazed and perplexed. They ask each other, what does this mean? What does this mean? Is it just a case of too much wine? Or is something else going on here? What does all of this mean? Well, it's Peter who gives the explanation. Now, Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's had his mind open to understand how all of what we now know as the Old Testament in the Bible is, is pointing us to Jesus. Uh, he's speaking to a, a bunch of Jewish people who, who know their Old Testament, believe their Old Testament. Um, and so what he does is he, is he takes them on a little journey through the Old Testament uh, to, to show them that these miraculous scenes that they're encountering are ones that ultimately point to Jesus. Uh, so he reminds them of uh, a prophet called Joel, who, who centuries earlier had written that um, God says, in these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And, and Peter says, this is what is happening. It's a, it's a very visible fulfillment of what's been written. This isn't happening behind closed doors. This is out in the open. Men and women are, are prophesying. They're declaring God's wonders. They're speaking God's word. God's spirit has been poured out just as Joel promised. Uh, there were times in the Old Testament when God's spirit um, came on people for a, for a particular moment or a particular purpose. But, but now God's spirit has been poured out on men, women, young, old, servants, all people. And the significance of this is that it signals that these are the last days. These are the last days. As Joel says, a great and glorious day of the Lord is coming. A day of judgment. A day when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does it mean to, to call on the name of the Lord and be saved? Well, this is where Peter brings Jesus in. Um, he says to the, to the crowd of Israelites, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And you Jews, you welcomed him with open arms. You gave him the honor that he deserved. Actually, no. What does Peter say? This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. By nailing him to the cross. You killed him. But this was God's plan all along, Peter says. And God raised him from the dead. And here, Peter draws on a couple of psalms or, or songs of praise that were written about a thousand years ago by a guy called David, who was king of Israel at that time. Um, so in one of these psalms, David says to God, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Uh, in another one, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But hang on a minute, Peter says, hang on a minute. David didn't get raised from the dead. He didn't ascend back to heaven. His, his tomb is right here today. We, we know that. He must be speaking about something and someone 
beyond himself. A king who would descend from him. One who would not be abandoned to death, but one who would be raised back to life. One who would be exalted by God. One who would pour out his Holy Spirit. And therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So to, to pull it all together, Jesus, so Peter is telling them these tongues that you're, you're hearing here, this is an unmistakable sign that the Holy Spirit has been poured out, which means we're living in the last days right now. We're awaiting the day of the Lord when everyone who belongs to the Lord will be saved. And who is this Lord? It's Jesus. The one who God promised would die, be raised back to life, ascend back to heaven, pour out his Holy Spirit and await the day when his enemies will be brought to justice. Oh, and one more thing. You were the ones who crucified him. It's a big old dear kind of kind of moment here, isn't it? It's a bit, a bit like starting a new job and realizing that your new boss is the, the kid that you bullied back in high school, except that this is on an eternal scale. This is going to have consequences forever. And so it's no surprise that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? Now, at this point, we might be thinking, well, sounds like a really bad situation for those Jews to be in, but it's got nothing to do with me. I wasn't there when Jesus was killed. I hadn't even been born. I didn't make it happen. It's quite likely that most of these Jews who Peter is speaking to weren't directly responsible for Jesus' death either. Um, As we we read through the gospel accounts, it seems to be the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem who led the charge with that. Um, not so much the tourists from outside of Jerusalem. So they may not have been directly involved, but they were responsible in a representative sense. Um, God sent his son into the world, and God's people killed that son. So they're collectively responsible. And it's the same for us as well. And because the Bible is clear that there, there is a big problem that all of humanity is tied up in. And it's called sin. Sin is a heart issue that all of us are affected by. It goes deep to the bottom of our hearts. It makes us want to reject God, to, to put ourselves at the center where only God ought to be, to live for me, for, for myself, my values, my purposes, instead of for God's. And so every person who has ever lived is part of a universal rebellion against God that is so extreme that when God himself came to earth, we murdered him. You know, we we may not have been the ones who personally hammered in the nails, but, but we're part of that same story. It's confronting. It means that it's no good comparing myself with someone who seems to be doing a little worse in life and and, and thinking that I'm doing pretty well. Um, Because in our own strength and in our own goodness, 
we all stand guilty before God. And so it comes back to that question that, that these Jewish people asked that day. What shall we do? What shall we do? The situation is worse than we could imagine. But the solution is better than we could ever hope. And that's because salvation is on offer. Peter replies, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, To repent means to to turn away from the way that I'm living right now, to to make a change. Uh, Being baptized is about committing to living for Jesus instead, doing doing that publicly. Uh, So what will happen when, when these Jews turn from their current way of life and turn to Jesus instead. What's going to happen? Well, their sins will be forgiven and they'll receive the Holy Spirit as well. So their guilt will be taken away and in its place, they'll have a new identity and a new hope. Um, But the Spirit isn't just a a prize that we get for following Jesus. We receive the Spirit in a, a full way when we declare Jesus as Lord, as we heard in the all-ages spot just before. But, but it's only through the leading of the Spirit that we can do that in the first place. Uh, so we read in the book of 1 Corinthians um, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is at work in, in us and in others, opening our eyes to recognize Jesus, to see who he is. But then he, he dwells in us in a, in a real sense when, when we respond to Jesus in repentance and faith. Uh, Peter continues, this, this promise is for you and your children. So it's a promise uh, for Jewish people. And for all who are far off, this is a promise for, for non-Jewish people as well. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So how is this possible? You know, if, if this guilt was so serious in the first place, how, how can it just be taken away like that? Well, because God used the most evil act in history, an, an act that was the very essence of sin, to defeat sin. By dying, Jesus was taking our sin on himself so that we could be forgiven. He was dying our death. And we're going to celebrate that together in a a few moments' time as we share in communion together. The cross was where human wickedness and God's plan came together. Jesus was was crucified through human wickedness, but but this was like God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge all along. Now, maybe you're here this morning just um, checking church out, just checking out who Jesus is and and what Christianity is all about. Sin is a hard thing to hear about. It's a really hard thing to hear about. Maybe the idea that all humans are broken and rebellious to the depths of our hearts is, seems a bit extreme to you. Or maybe it doesn't. Either way, Jesus won't make sense until we grasp sin. Jesus won't make sense until we grasp sin. At best, he'll be a good guy, or an insightful moral teacher. But it's only when we get where sin leaves us 
and what Jesus did to save us that will truly see his beauty and our need for him. Uh, which means that if you, if you are a follower of Jesus, we need to be prepared at some point to, to talk to people about sin. Not in a judgmental, superior, manipulative kind of a way, but, but gently, humbly, urgently. Jesus won't make sense without it. Uh, as we read on, Peter continues to warn and plead with his hearers. 3,000 people accept the message and are baptized. It's an amazing response. The mission to the ends of the earth has officially begun. And it happens in such a way that, that it is so clear that it is God who is in control growing his church. It is the Spirit who is at work in advancing the gospel and seeing the church grow as people respond. The, the disciples at this point really have, have done nothing. Um, it's an encouragement for us as we seek to be a, a church and, and people in the church who are on about leading people to Jesus, that, that we have the empowering of the Spirit, that it is ultimately God uses our efforts, that God is the one who does the heavy lifting. Um, but it does bring us back to that question that we started with. Um, are these amazing signs, these mass conversions, are they the kind of experience that we should expect in our own lives if we're genuine believers? Or are they just something that God did back in his miracle performing days? Should we, should we just expect God to work in more ordinary ways today and just, just accept that that's part of the course? Um, on one level, we, we could say God will absolutely do these things if we have the right amount of faith. Or on the other hand, we could say God absolutely won't do these things. It just doesn't happen today. And I think that both of those understandings are, are unhelpful because both of them run the risk of putting God in a box. Um, they, they systematize the way that we should expect God to work through his spirit today. See, as we, as we read through the rest of the book of Acts, we'll, we'll see that these events in chapter 2, they're not necessarily the, the prototype Christian experience that we should all expect to have if we're genuinely converted. Right? We, we'll see people come to faith without flames above their heads and a, and a visible outpouring of the Spirit. And although we'll see many more people in Acts accept the message of Jesus, we'll see many people reject this message as well, just like we will in Adelaide today. And yet these events of Pentecost, they are a visible initiation of the powerful work that God continues to do through his word and through his spirit, calling people everywhere, all over the world, all throughout time and history to accept Jesus and be saved. See, every time a person decides to live with Jesus as their Lord, that is a miracle that is made possible only by the Spirit's power. Even, even someone who grows up in a, a devoutly Christian family, going to church every week, it is a miracle from the Holy Spirit that this person decides to, to resist all of the temptations of the world, the, the sinful desires within them, and, and to follow Jesus instead. At times in church history, God has poured out his spirit in amazing ways. Um, so revivals and awakenings where 
where you, we see mass conversions, uh, miraculous signs, and sweeping cultural change as a result as well. There are, there are examples in the Western world, but also all over the world. Now, does God have something like that planned for the northeast of Adelaide in the 21st century? I don't know. I hope so. It'd be great. It's something that, that we should be praying for. That the God who delights in pouring out his spirit and bringing people to grab hold of the salvation that Jesus has made possible, that this same God will do amazing things this year in Modbury and beyond. Let's, let's pray for that. Our great God, we thank you for the gift of your Son and the gift of your Holy Spirit who opens our eyes and our hearts to see and to know Jesus and to receive his saving grace and to communicate it to others. We know that we're living in the last days and so we pray that your Spirit will be powerfully at work in our church, our families, our communities, our workplaces our friendship groups, and all around our world, bringing many people to repentance and to faith in Jesus while there's still time. We pray all this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.